0: Welcome to Micah Bradford Connected, where we bring together hope and information to help support your life. Join us on this journey in connecting the dots and finding answers to your most challenging health issues. So let's connect, where no topic is off limits. Common interests prevail, but opinions don't always align. This is Micah Bradford Connected. And welcome to The Connected Podcast with me, Micah Bradford. At Connected, our goal is to get you plugged into information and resources that can change your life. We put you in touch with professionals and everyday people from across the globe whose products and information are inspiring, innovating, and provide solutions to many of our lives' struggles. And so today, we are going to, again, have a very, very wonderful guest, Dr. Deanna Linek, She is returning to speak more, literally speak more, about simple speak, also about dual symbol immersion, and the tools that we can use to help our learners who have communication difficulties or developmental delays learn tools to communicate where they can express their needs, wants, and and emotions. And so... We are so happy to have you back, Dr. Linick. Dr. linick has been in the speech-language pathology realm for over three decades, which is exciting. So she's seen a paradigm shift that is starting to occur where technology and information and accessibility are all colliding at one time. And as an innovator herself, she is taking those resources and those opportunities to help further the tools that we use to help our children and our loved ones communicate. So welcome back. I'm excited to have you again and us learn more about dual symbol immersion and about Symbolit and how we can help move language forward for our loved ones. Thank you, Micah. I'm glad to be back and
1: excited to, to share this topic with you and to have the conversation. So the idea of dual symbol immersion The immersing in two symbol systems simultaneously has been the theory that Courtney Garcia and myself uh, developed through our nonprofit, Hear My Voice, Language Through AAC, and the idea was that we needed to do things differently regarding the development of language through augmentative communication so that we can get to better outcomes. The premise for us was that, based on a research study by Erickson and Geist in 2016, they found that of the augmentative communication users, right at around 80% who used picture symbols or sign language would only speak at the single word level. That number was devastating to us because single words, as we discussed Previously, single words are not enough to advocate for yourself, to let people know what you're thinking, to develop relationships, to have advanced social interactions, or even just social interactions. Single words aren't enough to do that. And so how do we improve those language outcomes when that language is through an augmentative communication system? What is augmentative communication? Augmentative communication means to add to, to add to our current abilities to communicate. That means to add to our nonverbal communication skills. You and I all have them. We smile, we laugh, we look away, we turn away, we get up and walk away, we put our hand up to stop things, we make a frown face. We have a variety of nonverbal communication behaviors that we still use, even for those of us who are verbal. But for some individuals, they're not able to use verbal speech. Um, that may be a neurological or a developmental reason. And honestly, it doesn't matter what the reason is, the goal is to develop communication skills. Communication skills mean the understanding of language, what I understand, what I'm able to follow directions for, or understand that others are saying, as well as expression. How do I express what I know, understand, want, like, feel, think, all of that, or don't want? So we have receptive and expressive language. Those are pretty common terms for, for most of us to, to understand. But what if that symbol system is not going to be verbal for the person? How early? How do we know when to start? If language is the goal, then it doesn't matter what symbol system the person's going to be able to use for their language expression. We need to get input into them in their symbol system or a symbol system that's likely to be accessible to them as quickly as possible. We have in the past waited for the person to fail repeatedly at developing verbal language that we didn't begin augmentative communication because that meant they weren't going to develop verbal language. And so we wait until they're three or five or seven. I've got 10 year olds that come in or even older. I've got some that are in their twenties that come in that don't have a symbolic communication system yet. And that's devastating. It's devastating for them and it's life changing for them. We need to provide language in the symbol system that is likely to be accessible as early as absolutely possible. And how do we know this? We know this from hearing impairments. We know this from people who did not have hearing, children who did not have hearing. They had a severe hearing loss or no hearing at all when they were born. We know that the first sign that they don't have hearing is that language doesn't develop. And by the time we figure that out and begin to provide them with sign language or if they're able to be amplified, have hearing aids. In general, it takes a month and a half for every month that they were without access to their symbol system wow. to be able to catch
0: up. So That's significant. And that reinforces some of the concerns that we have, even with the children uh, with autism and obviously other delays, because we would always say that Even if your child, the delay didn't seem as large in the beginning, that with each month that they aged and moved forward, that gap actually seemed like it was doubled or tripled in the impact and effect that was there when you saw the typically developing peers versus our children that had some form of delay. And so that confirms what we've all said that we felt like we saw emotionally and Why we would encourage families that often they would say, well, he can understand some stuff or he's okay here. We would encourage them to not lose valuable time and jump in with both feet and providing therapy supports, whether it be a combination of speech and language supports and therapy and applied behavior analysis and different components to get a jump on and not let that gap continue to get larger and larger. Exactly. And so, I mean, even just taking that simple
1: statistic for missing one sensory input, missing hearing, a very important sensory input, but the fact that it would take a year and a half just to catch up and we wait three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years to determine if there's another symbol system. That's a very important
0: statistic. So let me ask this question because back in the day, and we're talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I'm curious, whenever we would think of as parents or people in the the special needs or disability community, we think of individuals getting approved or an augmented communication device being suggested for them, like you said, it was delayed. And I never quite understood what the reasoning was. Was it because of the cost was it because of the equipment, the software development back at that time period versus what we have now and the cost and and our technological improvements? Was it based on different developmental markers and just a different thought process? What was the primary reason for that? Because I remember asking about a device and back in the day, I think the primary one that we were all familiar with was the Dynavox that we had heard of and seen, and and some of the manufacturers came out with pieces where you'd record a statement, and you'd have three or four buttons, and it was very rudimentary, but it provided some other form or a tool that could be used, but what was the reasoning for that? Was it philosophy in teaching and development, or was a large portion of it also cost of equipment and technology? Micah, it's a good question. I
1: think that would make a great research study to go back and take a look at. But we don't have like a firm answer. I can tell you what I think um, is, is the answer for it. And I think it comes from a couple of different elements. I think one element is, and professionally, I can speak for myself in the profession, that we weren't early adopters we didn't get to augmentative communication real early because we gave verbal a chance and by giving verbal a chance it meant we didn't have we speech language pathologists interventionists didn't always take on that perspective with families of we need to get symbols and we need to get them quickly because the earlier we get symbols the more that that impacts us being on the same developmental trajectory. So having that hard conversation with families and having the conversation about, it doesn't matter if their symbol system is verbal or if it's picture symbols, as long as it's robust, then we can develop language. We've got new information in the last five to seven years on that that helps us to put that all together. But I think that's one aspect of it. We just didn't have those hard conversations and we didn't go for it early enough. In the same timelines that we would have if the sensory impairment was hearing, we would go after that more aggressively than if the impairment was in the, the speech and the speech production. One part. The other that you're talking about is the insurance and the funding source authorization and as technology has gotten smaller lighter more based on typical technology technology that everyone uses the cost has gone down so cost was a factor the bigger devices one you had that they were bigger and didn't go with the person as easily so you had aspects of portability that interfered so if I had a person who is ambulatory, they could walk and needed to carry their device with them but the device weighed five or seven pounds, that may have been so much that it would have disrupted their ability to be able to walk. So we made decisions based on the size and the portability of devices as well as the finances. We're at a different point with technology now, which is great. What we've done with augmentative communication and with assistive technology over the years has led us to the technology that you and I now use commonplace the touch screens, the voice activation, those truly came out of assistive technology for people with disabilities. So because they're commonplace now, the funding's different. But there were a couple of things that needed to happen simultaneously. One is we need to look at language through augmentative communication as truly being reflective of language. And that is something that in the past, we've had difficulty being able to line up language development through an alternative symbol system and language development verbally. Key point missing was the immersion part of it. The second that needed to happen was we needed to understand vocabulary and the relationship of having the right words to be able to say and develop a variety of meanings with increasing complexity. Point being, children develop single words first, mama, puppy, that, go, want, it, more, like, not. That we develop single words, and then we, as we get between about 35 and 50, we begin to put two-word combinations together. Not like, not want, no, not mine, it, go, go fast, variety of different two-word phrases. Then we move into three-word combinations, into four-word combinations, into five-word, etc. That's verbal language development. Key point is, it's based on combining single words to make whole messages. We, for a period of time, and there still are pockets of thinking that agree with giving a child or a person a whole message. I want more Cheetos, please. I want my drink, please. I want my drink, please. Five words, and they'll put that whole message on a button that talks, and train the person to be able to say that whole message. Well, what you get is a single meaning. I want more juice, please. Mm. And you don't get a, no, not that juice, my juice. Where's the juice? What is the juice? I had the juice. The juice was good. The The juice is gone. He drank my juice. You don't get multiple meanings of that whole message. So by teaching a whole message, we actually step outside of language development. People develop language by making meaning, by saying something and others make meaning of it. They say it accidentally, they babble or explore it, and others jump in and go, oh, yes, you called me, you want this, there it is, what happened, where'd it go? We come in and we respond to it, and then they develop single words, meaningful, juice, Want, all gone, or go, you know, they, and then they start to combine the messages. We need to provide symbols that will allow them to progress in that. We do this for verbal, and we do this for sign language, but we don't do
0: it for picture communication systems. So I'll tell you, as you're saying this, it makes me think about, so what I'm hearing you say is also that in an attempt to provide them with communication what we did is we chained words together so that that chain of words produced the outcome but they were no further along in being able to use the components that created that chain and and so i could see where over generalization or never being able of that one statement or they were never able to dissect and use each one of those words individually under its own function. And as you were saying this, it made me think about, so Jake, my son has hypersensitivities to different sounds. And one of his friends, and her mom is one of my best friends, but his friend, Libby, they, they're like brother and sister. And they are both receiving supports at the same location and go to the same program during the day. And there are times where they will irritate the tar out of each other and banter back and forth, which I find interesting in our last uh, segment when we talked about the human rights and communication, that they have a right to communicate verbally and not have punitive action or be admonished or get in trouble like a five-year-old when you're 23 and you want to say that somebody's being a butt or something, but because that's normal what we do. But it's funny when you talk about statements and overgeneralizing, the first thing that came to mind with a sentence being just a blanket statement is Jacob will say too loud and he'll sometimes say, Libby, too loud, or my ears hurt or sound like, the sound too loud and he would pair because we had responded so much because when they were going back and forth in communicating with each other, we were trying to shape that language to be a more positive exchange and to also give them each the ability to decline interacting or communicating with one another. But what happened is Jacob, somehow there was a transference of too loud or Libby talking too loud my ears to he started saying that at times where he hadn't been around her. And what we found is when we would go to the ENT or the doctor, he would have fluid on his ears. And what we realized is that where we thought there was specificity in the words of him pairing a person with a sound and a function, that what happened is the transferences, his friend and because of their pattern of communication was paired with noises being loud, he had associated it with something having to do with the ears. Mm-hmm. So where his ears were hurting, he would make statements that were used historically when we we're talking about loud noises and specific people or situations. And so I can appreciate the thought process now of not just equipping our kids with these long phrases and compilation of words and images or words alone because that can be chained together and used globally for different functions and not necessarily for being able for them to learn those individual words to use them on the merit and basis of their own function.
1: And what you're describing, well done and well done making that connection, what you're describing is that the Whole message took on a meaning that you didn't know, but it probably had multiple meanings. One yes. meaning being Libby was too loud, right. but the other meaning being too loud. And, and right. so, too loud meaning hurt my ears. And so, when hurt my ears was paired with that, so that message meant Libby's too loud, something's too loud. Something's too loud and hurts my ears, hurts my ears. Yes. It had all of those different meanings, which is beautiful in that words have multiple meanings. Yes. Words are meant to have multiple meanings. And my question is, what is it about the learner, the symbol speaker, that limits their capacity to develop multiple meanings? Is there a limit to it? And quite honestly, I don't think there is, and I don't know that there is, until I've given them the opportunity to develop that multiple meaning. Point in case, and this is a long time ago, um, but when I worked at early childhood intervention, had a little friend who'd come in to visit me. He was about fifteen months old. He loved come in to play. He'd come in happy every day. He comes in one day and he's just screaming bloody murder. So we go on back within a few minutes, he's fine, plays fine. Next session, he comes in screaming bloody murder again. So I said to mom, I said, what's up? You know why uh, he, he likes it. we it's, I don't, I'm not taking it personally when we get back into the session, we're fine. But what, what's happening on your way here that he's so upset? And she said, well, we drive by McDonald's. And when we drive by McDonald's, he points to it and he says, uh. Ah, and I say, no, you can't go see, you can't go to McDonald's now. You have to go see Mr Deanne okay so who wants to be paired up against going to McDonald's in the play area and stuff like that not me but she interpreted that gesture as meaning I want to go to McDonald's and she would tell him no you have to go see Miss Deanne and so that became a a negative association he made a request and she told him no but I said how do you know he really wants it And she said, well, he's pointing to it. I said, yeah, but the point can mean, mom, do you see? There is. Look. You know, we had fun the last time. I said, shift your interpretation. Things are not always a request. So when he points to McDonald's on your way in next time, say, yeah, we had a blast last time. Can't wait till we go next. Or, wow, you're right. There's McDonald's. Something like that that's not a request. Take it as being a comment." zero crying and tantrums from that point forward. Wow. Because of the interpretation of that message. Now that was a nonverbal communication behavior, but what about those first words? What about when the, the child says, you know, mama, and you say, no, mama's not here. I'm sorry. Your mama's not here. You got to stay with me. Well, now, you've got a reason to be upset, but if the child says mama, whether it's a sign or a voice output communication or speech, and you say, yeah, your mama's real sweet. Yeah, I like your mama too. Ah, she'll be back in just a minute. Mama, yeah, she brought you here, right? When you give it one of those multiple meaning interpretations to it, now it's not about always being a request, you get more rich language and that language has multiple meanings. We need to do the same thing with voice output communication or with picture symbols that we do with sign language and
0: with, with verbal speech. And here's what I love about what you just said too, is that in the world, when we're looking at positive behavior supports, and it really makes me think about how we are setting the scenario So our interpretation that if we go on the assumption of it being a positive interaction and looking at the duplicity or multiple functions, that we can actually shape the response of the speaker by affirming. And I think there's something valuable too in just them being affirmed if if communicating is a struggle. And if you don't have a symbol system in place and your daily life is dependent on the interpretation of the receiver, always trying to figure out what you're trying to convey, then if we can go from a positive approach to begin with, an affirmation of affirming and not assume that it's always a want to where we are delivering the negative, that we are negating that because to your point, it may very well be that their effort and energy is just in the fact of making the association or the utterance of pairing that word with that item that the frustration they may be exhibiting is, I worked really hard. I'm, I'm trying to say, my God, Donald, whatever, or point, or, or trying to get that joint attention for us to share in a moment of me telling you, I see this. Um, that's, that's profound to be able to affirm the, the symbol speaker or the person that has those deficiencies. Because I think from, again, going back to human relationship and rapport, affirmation, I know that with Jake, that he gets frustrated if he gets something wrong. He does not like to get something wrong from the years of therapy and programming that I can't imagine the mental, physical, energy and expenditure that has to go into constantly trying to communicate your wants and needs and the toll that that takes not only physically but just on somebody's spirit and so i i love the idea of us shifting our perspective as parents and caregivers and therapists to that when our learners are talking or emoting or trying to indicate or have joint attention we come from a place of affirmation and that we go there first and that we don't go to the negating or the no, we can't have this or no, she's not coming back or no, that that's secondary. That first we are affirming the learner for their effort in communicating. And then if that doesn't suffice, we kind of scroll through. And then at the end, if that's needed to say, and even then we can still say later, this or then. And then speaking of no, I think what is very thought-provoking is that many of us who had kiddos in therapy for many years, they did not learn no. In a way, they didn't learn to receive a no. They didn't learn to use the no. No was negatively removed from their language repertoire. And just this past Recently we had Dr. Patrick McGreevy, who is doctor at BCBA and and amazing, but that one of the essentials for living skills that he had is learning no. And what's exciting to hear you speak about this is that learning no, but learning no and being able to use it not necessarily as a consequence to know that that doubles an individual's language. You know, it, it wasn't presented in that capacity back in the day for us. And so I think that's exciting because so often parents are walking on eggshells thinking, ah, don't tell them no. Well, but maybe it's that we help them with learning no as being a tool for them first or simultaneously versus just a consequence. Right. So I, I think that that's, That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's so
1: it's it comes back to the multiple meanings of it. What does no mean? No, I don't have that. No, it's not here. No, there are no more. There are no less. There, it that no has more meanings than stop. No, that's not it. Or no, that's the wrong answer. There's multiple meanings of the word, and that's where if we approach language through an alternative symbol system as being language development, but just simply adding another symbol system to it, now we provide all of the language. No, I didn't see it. No, where'd that go? No, what happened to that? Oh, I wonder where'd that go? Nope, I'm going to go look over here. No, it's not there. When we give all of that language, then they have the opportunity to be able to understand and grow their understanding, develop their understanding within the context. No developmentally occurs very early. What do we think about the terrible twos? They're the no stage, right? That developmentally, when your language level is at a two-year-old level, now you're overusing no. Why? Because you're finding the boundaries and you're connecting with the boundaries. But if we don't give them the language, if we don't use it with them, how would they know what the meanings of it are? And they should go through a stage of overuse of the word no. They should also go through a stage of the overuse of why, 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 why? When does that happen? That happens after no. You know, so developmentally, Ah. we need to speak into their lives all of the words in a symbol system that's accessible, and I'm gonna come back and define that, but in a symbol system that's accessible so that they have a rich language foundation from which to move themselves through the developmental progression. So a symbol system that's accessible to them. If the coordination of respiration, breath, phonation, sound production, and articulation is difficult for a developmental or a neurological reason, we know then that we need to provide an alternative symbol system. But there are other developmental reasons that we can't put our finger on, autism being one, that there's nothing physiologically that looks like it's interfering with the production of speech, but speech doesn't develop. So then we turn to look at the auditory system and auditory processing. We can go back in autism treatment to Project Teach and the visual strategies and visual instruction, which have become a foundation for autism treatment strategies, use of visual symbols to provide organization and sequencing. But at the same time, we didn't accelerate our implementation of language through an augmentative communication system but we used picture symbols to be able to provide visual supports. We missed providing them with visual language. But what we understood was that there was something about the auditory processing of or the receiving and the holding on to the auditory information that didn't allow individuals with autism spectrum disorders not all of them, but many of them, didn't allow them enough time to be able to process. So we gave them visual plus the auditory. What happened? We gave them visual organization so they could come back and take a look at it. Well, what we missed was giving them enough language and language in a way that was dynamic and flexible. We gave them repeated phrases and limited single word, single picture symbol sequences or some progressing, but most of the time it's very limited to give them that organization. But we lacked giving them the multiple input of language. What I want you to do is line up at the door, line up. You know, what we need to do next is we need to walk down the hallway, walk. But instead we would say line or we would say door and we would say walk or we would say go or we would say the next room and we were giving them single symbol input to help them organize. What we're coming back to with dual symbol immersion is that when we've identified that they need that symbol system that's visually accessible in a visual symbol system, how do we know that? Because the auditory verbal, the hearing and the speech is not developing on timeline, that's enough of a reason to begin augmenting. The goal is to keep them on their developmental trajectory. The goal is to intervene with language as early as possible so that we can help them to continue to develop language and to develop language on time. So intervene early and in a symbol system that decreases the auditory alone demand by adding auditory plus the verbal, now you have dual symbol immersion. Immersion
0: in two symbol systems simultaneously. So can you give us an example and for our listeners that maybe they've never been exposed to even what the old thought process of introduction of an augmentative communication device would be versus in comparing and contrasting how we're talking about using uh, technology through dual symbol immersion. What does that look like before and what is the shift in some of the primary changes of implementing it now under this reasoning? So with dual symbol immersion, the idea is that we will provide two
1: symbol systems simultaneously, which we already do when it comes to using sign language. So if you've been exposed to baby signs or know anybody who used baby signs, the idea was that you put a sign with the words that you were saying so that your child had the opportunity to develop those signs before they would have the ability to be able to produce the speech. We signed more, we signed want, we signed go, we signed eat, we signed drink. We had a limited set of vocabulary, but we signed as we spoke to the child. Dual symbol immersion is saying, let's provide even more robust, more symbols to go with the entire sentence rather than choosing just one to go with it. So I'm kind of answering the last part of your question first. So you're
0: saying that symbol, so because most people and our listeners may think that symbol is always an image, but when the context of dual symbol immersion... We are talking about the spoken word being a symbol which is auditorily identified plus the symbol that we would see visually that would be an image so whether that verbal symbol would come from us as well as a device if it was a program that actually spoke the word and then as well as your image so symbol in this context means, a category, anything that conveys a message. Is that correct? Very well said. So adults who are literate speak
1: in multiple symbol systems. Verbal speech is one symbol system. Handwriting is another symbol system. It represents the language that's in our head. So the language being the organization of thoughts, ideas, feelings, wants, needs, ideas, all of that. Those are the Language representations in our head. We represent those by speaking, by handwriting, by typing, by text shortcuts, by emojis, by showing pictures. We can support the verbal by using an additional symbol or we can use multiple symbols to be able to support an idea. I loved it when, uh, when I met your son, and he was showing me pictures of things that were important to him. Those pictures were symbols representing some of his favorite scenes in movies, his favorite scenes in videos, um, his favorite characters, but he used those with his verbal to make sure that I understood what he was representing. So the whole idea of symboling means that we're representing our thoughts, ideas, feelings, wants, needs, ideations, with something that is shared with the listener, with a symbol system that is shared with the listener. That symbol system can, again, be in any of those categories or multiple categories
0: at one time. So one of the things that I want to kind of, blow the minds of our audience is this one thought because until I saw the presentation that you and Courtney did, it had never, never registered with me. And matter of fact, one of Jacob's therapists, his VCBA, his board certified behavior analyst who helps with his programming, she had come on board and even asked some of the people working with him, how does Jacob communicate with you? And everybody said, well, he talks. Okay. True statement, and at 23, and I I want to give the listeners a little bit of perspective of who would benefit from dual symbol immersion, because I think that when we look back at when uh, augmented communication devices were initially presented for the many obstacles and reasons we discussed earlier, that it wasn't something that was readily available or that was readily suggested for individuals. And in especially situations like Jake's, where he learned to read phonetically through a program called Headsprout, he can talk and can make a few statements. He's very independent on his self-care. And so many people were surprised when I said, we are about to have him evaluated for an augmentative communication device. And I want to help in shifting the perspective of who we think would be the best fit. Who is the profile of person or learner that would benefit from dual symbol immersion? Because in our situation where Jacob has the ability to make a few comments, to say, I love you, to tell me what he ate for lunch or where he wants to go eat, the language as far as the whys and the winds and the no's are still extremely limited. And I look at this and see where, because of him being so aware of his environment, because of him wanting to consistently relate to people around him and his surroundings, that one of our primary issues has been level of frustration and how he deals and copes with those moments where he's frustrated and maybe he has a new staff or a new attendant that's working with him that doesn't quite understand when he speaks his verbalizations whether it's because of intonation or or how he enunciates words maybe it's that they don't know that when he's talking under a specific category what the relationship of those words means Like when he's talking about spaghetti and meatballs, but then that goes to another track of different types of meats that he enjoys. So the average person, if he started talking about barbecued goat or rotisserie chicken or whatever, they may go back to thinking he wants that with his spaghetti, but he doesn't. He's just then in an effort to communicate further with the person with him is segueing from talking about yes spaghetti and meatballs which is what he's eating for lunch or dinner to then oh here's some other talk topics so I'm excited and want to be sure that our audience that when they're they're hearing this they're not just thinking about the three-year-old or the five-year-old that is maybe has just learned cat dog mom more cookie to think dynamically, about how we as adults express ourselves through emoji and text and different apps and visuals to how even when you have someone who has the ability to talk and express themselves to some extent, we have to look at, is it truly functional? And so I'm excited for him and his future, and also at the possibility of knowing how is this going to help him with his coping strategies with frustration once we learn this. So when you look at teaching, if to our listeners, how would you explain the difference then? What is the biggest difference with if we would have looked at augmented communication device for Jake 15 years ago versus today from the teaching and implementation? What's the biggest difference?
1: Depends on who you're talking to. um, What the biggest change is. So, with dual symbol immersion, if we're talking about this. Yes. So, with dual symbol immersion, the biggest change is that we need to speak to the person all the time throughout the day, throughout context, about all different topics in the symbol system that we've determined for them. And that means at home, at school, in the bathroom, in the bedroom, you know, at the dining room, in all locations, that we're going to be speaking to them in their symbol system. Much like we would speak to somebody in their language, we're going to speak to them in their symbol system so that they have the opportunity to be able to develop that language. That's the biggest change. We've not done that to date. We've spoken a little. We've planned to speak a little. We've chosen some vocabulary, we've chosen some messages, but we've not had the tools to be able to completely immerse them. So, dual symbol immersion is the idea that to the greatest extent possible throughout the day, we're going to speak in their symbol system in all locations. Symbolit is an additional tool that makes that viable and possible. Um, And by making language visible in real time, that we can support immersing when we can't get to the device or when we need to control the timing and the the whole group. So Symbolit provides an additional opportunity for us to be able to speak in symbols in real time.
0: So I would think then just from the time period then of looking that it really is about the community and people around the learner really embracing this thought process and delivery of technology that's the biggest differentiator. Yes. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited that we were able to share more information about the specifics and what dual symbol immersion means and the individuals that it can support. Because what I feel and what I'm hearing from you is that I look at this as this is applicable across all individuals this is what we do this is a very fiber now of our communities and socially how we all communicate and there's not a better time for the technology and the work that you're doing to come out because this is just going to be again a game changer for individuals that have communication deficiencies or delays and for the families and caregivers and people who love them. So I just appreciate, again, we want to thank you, Dr. Olenek, for spending time with us. And we look forward to you always coming back and being able to do deeper dives into communication and just helping to shift the thought process and the paradigm of how we communicate and support our loved ones and the people that we care for. So this time, we just like to thank all of you for visiting with us and tuning in to Connected with Micah Bradford. Uh, Give us a shout. Go and hit us up with a review. We are on Google Play, iTunes, as well as Spotify. And be sure to visit connectedMicaBradford.com for show notes and for attachments and links to Dr. Olenek's research work and information that she continues to bring forward to our communities. And don't forget to visit simplespeak.co. That's where you can find more information about Symbolit and the app. And again, it is available on the iTunes app store. So Dr. Olenek, thank you for broadening our horizons, sharing information, and just bringing hope and help to our families that provides motivation, inspiration, and solutions for our loved ones.
1: Thanks, Micah. appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. Fantastic. You too.